and he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would fain have satisfied his hunger with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against him and before thee, and no more worthy be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he jetted great off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, and no more worthy be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the hill of the fatted calf and kid it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. I read some verses in the 15th chapter of Luke. Now I'm reading two verses, and I'm going to use the text. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to far country. Then I'll skip down to the 18th verse, or 17th verse. And when he came to himself, that part of that verse, and when he came to himself. You know, I used to, when I was a boy, hear the preachers preach about the prodigal son. And somehow or other, they made the impression on me, whether they meant it or not, that the prodigal son is a hero in this drama. The prodigal son is not the hero. The father's a hero. From a worldly standpoint, the prodigal son's a hero. From the heavenly standpoint, he's a villain in the drama. The father's a hero. Now, I want us to get the right view of this prodigal son. I'm going to say every good thing I can about him. But there isn't much good you can say about him. When you come right down to rock-bottom truth concerning this character. In the first place, this boy evidently must have been pretty well read. Of course, we do not know. It's a parable. And yet, there are certain little indications that the boy must have had at least a pretty good moral background. His brother may have been a little cold and intolerant, the older brother. But he had some standards. This boy hadn't had any. You know, uh, we need some standards in this country, even though sometimes they're cold standards. Now, if the prodigal son was a hero, then this boy here, the older brother, was a very remarkable character. The purpose of this parable is not to magnify the prodigal son, but magnify God's forgiving mercy. This older brother said of his younger brother, he's wasted his substance with loose women in a faraway land. And he said it with indignation and intolerance. You know, we talk about intolerance in this country. And I've said so many times, we are not suffering from intolerance. We are suffering from a damnable tolerance that's wrecking this nation. We tolerate immorality. Make heroes and heroines out of people who are vile and wicked and unclean. 
Some time ago, there was a certain opportunity offered this institution to bring to this platform a well-known character in America, a woman outstanding in the uh, literary world. But there's a shadow hanging over her, not a very black shadow, but a shadow. And Bob and I, talking things over, said, well, now, you know, she, as far as we know, is a lovely woman. But we don't like to make a heroine out of somebody that's had a shadow over like that. This institution protests against making heroes and heroines out of villains. This prodigal son was a villain. He lived like a villain. He did untold harm. Now, I want you to notice, he was a son. Now, you know, you are not a son of God unless you are born again. There's no tragedy in this world that's tragic. As a child of God, sparing his testimony and grieving the Father's heart. This boy was a backslidden son. Let's remember that. You know, God nowhere in the Bible makes any man a child of God that isn't a child of God. And you're a child of God by regenerating grace and a new birth. So this boy was a son brought up around the fireside. Undoubtedly had a kind, loving, gracious father because he is a type of the forgiving God that we call father. And he evidently had a mother that must have been a good woman and probably was well read. He may have had education advantage that was superior to those around him. He evidently knew the law, brought up right, and maybe in a home with discipline, for there were standards there. But one day, this boy, and about the only thing you can say about him is this, at this point, he had one trait of character that was rather significant, but often goes with a villain. He had initiative. He had uh, an initiative spirit. Now, that's a wonderful thing to have. Nothing great's ever been done without the spirit of initiation in your heart. It's a good thing if you like that. Some people don't have it. But there is no more dangerous trait of character unless it's harnessed to the will and purpose of God that have initiative. In fact, every talent or gift you have, unless used for the glory of God, becomes the greatest curse it's possible for men to bring this world. A man with great initiative is a dangerous character, and he's not right. He has a way of getting into places where other folks couldn't go. He has a way of doing things other people couldn't do. He has a way of saying things and pulling down barriers other people couldn't pull down. This man had it. He could move into most any circle. A younger brother, not the older, goes up to his father with this initiative spirit and said, Father, how about my having my share of this state? How about my coming to my own? How about my inheriting moon? I'll venture the son never brought up an eye like that, the older one. This boy had it. But that same initiative that he had that made him ask his father for money, for his share of the estate, that same driving initiative spirit drove him to hell and ruin and set him out to debauch himself and damn himself and uh, dishonor his name and bring sorrow to the home in which he grew up. Now, after he got what he wanted, after he got all in, notice now, he took all he had and moved out. He didn't have much. A man who has just material things never has had much. I'm sorry for bankrupt 
characters that have material things. I'm sorry for people who have low standards and have wealth. I'm sorry for people who have never had the touch of the supernatural and thinks of worldly wealth in the term of the sordid and in terms of what can I get. Listen, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. The love of money. He had money. I don't know what he was worth, but evidently he was pretty well fixed. He was able to go to a far country and take his wealth with him. He didn't have much when he had money. I've known some folks that had money, then that's all they had. And if you haven't got anything beyond money, you're a poor, miserable wretch. I've said a thousand times on a thousand platforms that the things worthwhile money never has both. It doesn't buy love. It doesn't buy friendship. It doesn't buy peace of conscience. It doesn't buy the thrill that comes to you when you hug your baby. It doesn't buy the peace that comes to you when your mother kisses you goodnight and tucks you in bed. Oh, the folks that just have money. That's all he had. Initiative and money. The two combined led to debauchery to sin. Now listen just a minute. Money usually does two things for men like this. If a man hasn't character, a man isn't right, if he gets money and he represents a certain type of humanity, he goes into immorality and sin and moral looseness and squanders it. If he's another type man, a different calculating coal type, He's like the farmer Jesus told about. He had a great harvest and gathered his harvest into his new barns. And then when the shadows of the evening gathered and the stars came out in the sky and the crickets were out there in the trees and the night was still, he sits down and says, I've got enough. My soul eat. My soul eat. Eat what? That barn out, John. Eat the wheat you piled up for many years. Eat, you miserable old fool. I don't hesitate to call him a fool. That's what Jesus said he was. Only Jesus went further than that and said, You fool, you're going to die tonight. This man uh, was a sordid type that he didn't love the faraway land. The glamour of the underworld had no appeal to him. The beautiful lights and the music and the whirl of the dance. Hoarding money appealed to him. Thinking he was secure appealed to him. This poor rich fool about whom I hope to preach to you someday. This poor fool had money and nothing else. And it made him a mind. This prodigal son had an estate, and it made him a moral reprobate. Say, listen, you want to know what you are? What does money do to you? What effect does it have on you? How do you evaluate things in this world? Do you think in the terms of dollars and cents? Do you think in material values? Do you think in the terms of spiritual values? 
show me how you look at money. And I'll show you what you are. Show me what you think of gold and I'll tell you your relation to God. Show me how you handle money. And I'll tell you what you are. Money. He gathered together all he had. Now he had a right to what he had. Wasn't anything wrong with what he had. He had a right to it. Oh, I've heard some people say the oldest son should have had this state. I don't know about that technically, but I know this much. He asked for what was coming to him and he got it. Wasn't held back from it. Say what you please about it. It was his by right. This money comes to men by right. You can get money the right way and then let it damn you. You can get money out of the hands of God and let it dwarf you and ruin you and curse you. In fact, if you have money, it came from God. He has all the money. Cattle on a thousand hills are his. The hills are his. The gold in the hills are his. Everything's his. Everything's his. So if you have money, it came from God. You may have got it dishonestly, but it came from God. Now notice just a minute. But if you got it honestly, it came from God. Because God has all the money, all the wealth, everything in the universe. Now you can get in an honest way something from God Almighty and then let it curse you. Depends on how you use it. You were gifted, some of you. God gave you initiative. It's a great gift. Wonderful thing never to stay in a hole when you get there. Blessed is a man that gets in and can figure a way out. Blessed is a man that gets his mind on something and figures a way to get to what he's after. Nothing wrong with that. Paul had it. Probably no other man ever had it. Somehow he managed to get through all the army of Rome. Face all the persecution and get there. Missionaries need an issue. Preachers need it. Everybody needs it. Nothing wrong with it. If you have it, you got it from God. How are you going to use it? For the glory of God? Or use it to curse somebody? What are you going to do with your gifts? I'm told somebody this morning can see. God gave you a voice. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? You got it from God. Some people were born dumb. Some people had cancer of the vocal cords. Some people can't even speak in a whisper. I was introduced to a lady here in Greenville the other day, and somebody said to me, and I was introduced to her, said, you know, she's lost her voice. Did you ever get down on your knees, young woman and young man, and thank God Almighty that you can sing on pitch? And did you ever take those vocal cords in the hands of consecration and hand them over to God Almighty? What are you going to do? What are you going to do with your gifts? You're an executive. God gave you a sort of a way of handling things. What are you going to do with that way God gave you? Somebody said, he has a way about it. Well, what are you going to do with the way you have about you? You have histronic talent. What are you going to do with it? There isn't one single gift in this line that couldn't be used for the glory of God. Wherever I go, I find some classical singer that'll sing for the Rotarians but never sing for God Almighty.
Who do you think God Almighty is in it? Listen. He was there on the morning the stars sang together. And probably before sin came this universe, all planets may have moved to the heavenly pitch. How do you know about it? Think of some miserable, loud, worldly woe that thinks she has a voice too good to sing for God. You better not be able to sing if that's your attitude towards your voice. I'm going to Hollywood and be a great singer, a great actor. You are? What for? Well, I can make some money and make the headlines and the paper. Oh, that's your idea. You villain in the drama. That's what you are. That's what the prodigal son was. From a heavenly standpoint, not an earthly standpoint. Not from the standpoint of the Hollywood setup. But from the heavenly viewpoint, the woman and man who looks at life just like that are the villains. I wish we could get God Almighty slant on this country in this day of loose living. Oh, well, you know, she's an artist. <laughs> Is that so? Oh, yes, you know, you have to look up to her. Look, you do. Not from heaven's viewpoint. Not from the Ten Commandments viewpoint. Not from the viewpoint of Calvary. Not from the viewpoint of eternal principles. And I don't want Bob Jones University boys and girls to ever sink to such a low level you get any of you except heaven's view of these things. Dramatic ability. You'll excuse me in the absence of my son. Uh, I never talk very much about him when he's around. But when he was a little fellow, just a little fellow, only child, we used to watch uh, his dramatic inclinations. The matter of concern to his mother and me when he was little. Bedtime at night, he'd come in and put on a performance. Just a little fellow. He thought of those times. And I knew the crisis would come. Always come. I did more praying than he'll ever know. Don't feel honored to have a son that makes the headlines from Hollywood. I'd rather make headlines in heaven. And when they bring out extras, I'd like to be heavenly extras. And one day, the crisis came. And I took him in my office and said, Now, son, I'm not going to try to shape your life for you. You make your decision. This is a Christian school. All the histrionic talent and dramatic ability that God ever gives anybody can be used in Christian work and for the glory of God. There may not be the same glamour there would be in some other places, but the greatest dramatic 
speakers I've ever known have been a few preachers. And I said, now, if you want to go into this thing, I'll finance you for a year in Europe, and you just quietly check out. Oh, he said, I said, don't say anything. Think it over. The next day, he came to my office. He said, Dad, you don't have to worry about me. And he said something I've never forgotten. I want to pass on to you. He said if you'd get everything that Hollywood has and Broadway has and absolutely everything the world has, you haven't got anything when you get it. Now, that's something that I'd like to stick to all of us. The prodigal son got it and didn't keep it. Of course, he threw his away. But if he'd have died, he'd have lost it in him. Listen, anything that you can't use in relation to the eternal ages is a debauchery of heavenly gifts. Anything that doesn't have eternal value isn't worthwhile. Prodigal son's estate. Far away country, initiative that made him get it. It had no relation to eternity. It had a tragic relation to time. God of hosts, be with us yet. Lest we forget, lest we forget. Sometimes when I see some student in Bob Jones University wavering in a Christian sense, sends a dagger through my heart. It's the old story told over again, over and over and over. And yet sometimes I move around with Christian people and they say that she married a wealthy man. Well, what did she and he do when they married with their wealth? <laughs> Went to Europe. What else? Drank cocktails. What else? Say, well, they forgot God. Oh, they did. Then she had better manicured her fingernails and washed her with a little mountain cabin hole. Young people. Nothing is worthwhile that you cannot tie up to God Almighty for the eternal ages. The prodigal son moved away with all he had. He took it with him. All he had. Didn't have much character to take. He couldn't stand the test of temptation. Then you haven't any character. You know, sometimes people want me to take some student here and want Bob to take some student to school that uh, they say he's just so weak if you just keep him there. Huh. Keep him there. Listen, we don't get them here just when they're weak to just keep them. Not there. We get them here hoping there's something on which to build to start with. So they have a foundation, character foundation. 
Because you can't stay here forever. You need the principles that we drill into them so you can stand the test. The prodigal son undoubtedly had some good principles at home, certainly moral principles. But he couldn't stand the test. He just didn't have it in him. He couldn't deliver the goods because he didn't have the goods to deliver. You can't be somebody if you're a nobody. You've got to have something to you. All he had. Say, I wonder, you haven't got much summer. Some of you haven't got as much as you think you have. I know a lot of folks that are short on their assets and don't know it. But everybody here has something. There isn't a person that could enroll in this school and take a course here and pass any course in this school. Hasn't got something to you. You have something. It may not be much, but there's a little something there that could be used for the glory of God. And if you haven't given it to God, you're a miserable sinner. You know... I've heard singers come into my campaigns, star musicians in the community, no spiritual life at all. And they would take a great psalm, maybe, a wonderful hymn, and they would use that music to show off their voice. That's sacrilege. The other night out in Topeka, Kansas, I passed a group of high school young people going to sing in the meeting. And I knew some of them were flippant. I heard them laughing about having to stay through the meeting. I gathered them together. And I said, boys and girls, before we go there, this is God's business. You're going to, I understand, sing the 23rd Psalm. You're not to sing the 23rd Psalm just to show how well your glee club can sing. Listen. If folks are going to sing for the devil, let the devil write the music for them. And he never wrote a song in his life. All the music in the throat of every bird that ever sat on a limb that was swinging and while the bird was singing, every musical note that was ever in the throat of a bird, God Almighty wrote that song. Think of somebody singing for the devil off a sword and selfish purposes and using God's music and God's language. To display. To use your voice to sing for God is religious. To use God's music and God's songs to show your voice is almost on the level of blasphemy. He didn't have much to take.
He took what he had and took his initiative in a faraway country. Now listen just a minute. Did you ever stop to think how much harm he probably did while he was there? I've sometimes wondered if he didn't meet some girl in that faraway country and pluck some flowers of modesty from her cheek and use his initiative to take the luster of innocence out of her eyes. And I wonder if he didn't hitch her to the chariot wheels of his degeneracy and crush her. And I've often wondered when he got back home, when he got back home with mother and dad, I've wondered sometimes if in the faraway land there could have been some unmarried girl with a little baby. I've wondered. I wonder how much debauchery and sin this villain did. This villain, this villain from heaven's viewpoint up till now. What did he do? I wonder if he gave somebody a drink for the first time and left him a drunkard. I heard a bum one day stand up in a meeting, pulled out of a ditch at middle life, miserable wreck he was, and God saved him. And he stood up and told how many people he led to Jesus Christ since he was converted. And I said, thank God. In my heart, I said, thank God. But I wonder how many he sent to hell before he was converted. And I wonder if he'll be greeted in heaven by as many that he won to Jesus Christ as he will hear crying out in hell, lost, lost, lost. Young people, sin, sin, don't you glorify it. It's wonderful when God saves a man out of the ditch, but blessed is a man that's saved before he gets into the ditch. Don't make heroes out of men because they've sinned. Thank God for grace that can save. You know, I've imagined that some night at home, the father and mother of this boy were in bed and... She turned over inside and he said, What's the matter, dear? Nothing. What's the matter with you? Why aren't you sleeping? Well, I'm just not sleeping. Not worried about anything? Oh, no, not special. Not special. You not worried? No. They were, though. They were trying not to believe the worst about their boy. This boy's mother may have died ten years sooner than she'd have died if he'd never been a prodigal son. That father had spent sleepless nights at home, worried about his boy far away in sin. May have died of heart trouble because of that boy's sin. Young people listen. I know mothers and fathers in this land who stay awake at night and pray 
For wandering sons and daughters that could sleep like babies in their mother's arms if their children were good. Oh, it's awful. Terrible. Terrible to go into a far country. Consequences are awful. And they're eternal consequences. But one day, in the faraway land, money gone, nothing to eat, watching him pour the swill into the troughs where the hog reading. He would have fain have eaten it, but he couldn't. I heard Dr. McNeely say he thinks reason the boy didn't eat it, couldn't eat it. He'd been used to nice food. He'd been sitting down at a lovely table at home, and he'd see a piece of bread going there in the swill. There was a bread he was hungry, but it was so mixed up and messed up with all the filth of the swill, he just couldn't eat it. If you've ever one time sat down to your heavenly Father's table, you'll never again enjoy the swill that hogs eat. If you once feed on heavenly manna, you'll never get where you can like this will of the world. I've never found on God Almighty's earth as happy backslide. And this boy sitting down there, he came to himself. He said, now isn't this a mess? Isn't this a mess? The servants at home are better off than I am, and I'm a son. And I'm going home. If he'd have been some students who had been to Bob Jones University, you know what he'd have said? He'd have written home and said, Dad, you know, uh, I, I got a teacher here that I don't like much. Uh, the rules are pretty strict here. If he'd have been like some I've known, a few of them we've had to send home in years gone by, he'd have got home and said, you know, Dad, you know, that's an awful place. They didn't treat me right. Prodigal son said this. Nobody to blame about this but me. And I'm going home and I'm going to tell them I'm to blame. And I'm going to tell them that I'm not fit to be a son. I'm not worthy of that. I'm going to tell them to make me a servant around the house. God bless that boy. He's on his way up now. As long as any man who's wrong, whether he be backslider or somebody who's never been converted, as long as anybody on earth stands up anywhere and blames anybody but himself or thinks of anybody but himself as the one to blame, there's no hope for him to ever get right. The first step toward heaven is to say, here I am. Nobody to blame but me. I don't deserve anything. But I'm going home. And that journey back, back home, back to mother, back to father. And he said he's going to tell his father to make him a hard servant. And before he got there, his father came out to meet him. He said, 
I'm unworthy. I've sinned against God in thy sight. And the father closed his lips with a kiss. And he never got to finish his speech. He said, come in, son. You can enjoy your banquet now. You won't be restless anymore here in this good place at home because you've been right now. Love. Love divine, all love excelling. That's the glory of it. The villain in this drama, this villain from heaven's standpoint, is loved by the hero who's willing to forgive. God is a hero, not the converted sinner. Love. You know what discourages me about our generation is the fact that love doesn't seem to move them anymore. Modern man is so conceited and so stuck on himself, he thinks that God Almighty ought to love But no man's ever saved that doesn't marvel that God can love him. Years ago in London, when Charlie Alexander was there with Dr. Torrey in a great revival, they called people to the front and wanted to be saved, and a great many of them came. And a woman of the underworld, soiled of infamy, came up and got near the front, Ms. Alexander, that queenly Christian woman, daughter of a wealthy man. Wonderful woman she was. Went and sat down by this woman. She said, Do you know that God loves you? She says, Nobody loves me. I used to be good. Nobody could love me now. I was good one time, and, but I'm not good now. Nobody loves me. God couldn't love me, not me, not me. She said, I'm a woman of the underworld. I suppose you know, don't you? Just look at me. Nobody, nobody loves me. Ms. Alexander looked at her, this lovely, queenly Christian woman. She said, God loves you. And because God loves you, he's my father. I love you too. She looked at her. And a tear overflowed her eyes and started down through the paint and powder and dirt of her cheek. And one came out on the other side and began to chase each other to the floor. She said, do you love me? She said, yes, I do. Jesus died for you. He's my Savior. And I, I love you because he loves you. He loved me, a sinner too. She said, if you love me, just kiss me here on this dirty cheek one time. And Mrs. Alexander leaned over and kissed her dirty cheek and kissed her into the arms of God. Listen, God's a hero. Listen, listen. All of us have been villains. We've all wandered away and have sinned against God. But God loves. If anybody's listening to me day over the air or here that's not right, I don't see how you could sin against that kind of a God. 
He said, I'm going home and went home. Our Father helped somebody to do that now. For Jesus' sake, amen.